0: Welcome to Uplifting Women podcast. This podcast is sponsored by UpliftingWomen.net, as well as Holly Teska Coaching and Consulting and Regent Leadership Group. Join our co-hosts, Holly Teska and Kristen Strunk, thought partners in the world of leadership, equality, and personal and professional development. Listen as they bring stories of inspirational women and their allies who are working every day for authentic leadership, equality, and inclusion in business, education, and community. These are the stories of the people whose mission it is to ensure others are seen, heard, and respected. They have overcome challenges in the workplace and the world or supported other women in doing so. Holly and Kristen are committed to uplifting women's voices, sharing inspiration, advice, and maybe even a few laughs from women and their allies about the work they are doing to promote inclusion and equality in our world. They believe that by sharing stories of challenge and triumph, We can all make the world a better place as we inspire others to step fully into their personal leadership space. We are so happy you have joined us today for our conversation.
1: Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us today at Uplifting Women podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Laura Spiegel. She is the founder of Paint Her in Color. It's a website that supports emotional well-being in parents of children with heightened health care needs. With more than 100 personal stories, emotional support tools, and advocacy tips, Paint Her in Color gives parents the encouragement and resources needed to care for themselves while caring for others. Since July 2019, the site has touched nearly 20,000 parents of children with complex medical, developmental, and behavioral health care needs. After graduating from the University of Notre Dame, Laura spent over a decade at the world's largest biotech company. Much of her work involved partnering with care teams to help people with chronic illness lead happy and healthy lives. Her professional and personal worlds collided in 2013 when her own daughter was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis. When she isn't managing Painter in Color, is a regular contributor at Special Needs Living Magazine and Different Dream Living. Her writing has been published by Scary Mommy, Kevin M.D., The Mighty, Yahoo, MSN, Parenting Special Needs Magazine, Complex Child Magazine, Thrive Global, Source Mama, and Humana Press. Her work has also been featured by Passionate World Talk Radio, the University of Notre Dame, and the Diversity Breakthrough Podcast. As a global healthcare advocate, Laura frequently partners with children's hospitals and nonprofit organizations to improve the experience of care for children and families. As a keynote speaker, she helps healthcare teams deliver difficult pediatric diagnoses with compassion and helps parents establish routines that support healthy and balanced lives as caregivers. She can be reached at laura.com at paintherincolor.com. And I'll also drop in the show notes, um, your Facebook and Twitter handles for our guests so they know how to how to reach you. Laura, welcome. What an amazing story. I will also share with our listeners, if it's okay with you, that you are the wife of my oldest nephew. I am. That's how we got to know each other. Did you ever think this is where you would be at this point in your life? I didn't. Why don't you start from the beginning and tell our listeners a little bit about, you know, your journey as a woman, as um, Mm -hmm. a woman in in a career, and then suddenly finding yourself in a situation where you were at a crossroads and um, had to make some pretty
2: tough decisions. Sure. So I, as you, you mentioned in your bio, Holly, I started working when I was pretty young for a, a very large biotech company. And I had the the immense pleasure of being able to do just a, a number of different roles within a short period of time. And, you know, when you think of your narrative of your career, your life, kind of where that's going to go, I, I felt, as I know a lot of young women that age do, that I'll just keep on marching upward, right? I'll just keep on... Going up that corporate ladder and nothing can stop me now, right? You know, it, it was validating because through a, a lot of hard work and perseverance, I did continue to move up. I had advocates behind me. I had mentors who really helped um, show me the way, if you will. And I I genuinely believed that I was going to be this corporate career woman um, for the entire duration of my career And, you know, you asked about a, a turning point for me. So I remember this very, very, very clearly. It's almost as if it was yesterday. I was sitting in my boss's office, and this would have been about six years ago, a little over six years ago. And she asked me just this very benign question. She'd probably asked it to me, you know, dozens of times in the past, And she said, Laura, what do you want to do next? What's that next role for you? What's that next job for you? And Holly, I just, my mouth kind of opened and nothing came out. And I just started crying. I had this visceral reaction to the question of what's next for you. And I was so embarrassed because who cries at work, right? You know, you're supposed to be buttoned and polished and, you you don't show weakness and you don't show emotion. And that's just how I had trained myself as a woman in the workplace. But there I was just bawling like a baby. And I, I somehow managed to convey to her that whatever I did next, it needed to be something that was personally fulfilling to me in addition to professionally, because I genuinely felt like I was spending my time at the wrong place with the wrong people doing the wrong things. Mm. And it's really hard to feel that way 60 hours a week, 70 hours a week, 40, 30, 20 hours a week. You don't want to feel that way. But I did. And it all stemmed back to my daughter at home, who, as you would mentioned, was was living with cystic fibrosis.
1: I can only imagine what it felt like in that office with your boss asking you that question. Question and you drawing a complete blank. Mm -hmm. How long did it take you from that moment until you started Painter in Color?
2: So that moment would have been, I want to say, August of 2015. Literally that very night, I went home. I had a conversation with John, my husband, who you mentioned, and I I just told him, I said, we've never talked about this before. This has never been on the table, but I genuinely feel like I need to take a couple of years and step away from corporate America and soak in that time with our kids. He was incredibly supportive, but the decision was made that night. It took, I want to say, there was a three-month transition plan at work. And by the end of the year, I was out. Um, So that was 2016. I didn't start Paint Her in Color until 2019. So it was a few years of of being at home, but in between, I was really having the opportunity to volunteer as an advocate and advisor at our Mm -hmm. children's hospital and kind of growing in that role and in that knowledge, which certainly helped when it came to creating Painter in Color a few years later.
1: Yeah. And I remember your daughter being pretty young, when you made that decision. I'm not surprised that John was very supportive though. Mm-hmm. So. And it seems your daughter has a very full and as normal life as I guess possible for a child suffering from CF. She
2: she really does. You know, CF is a, a condition that it can affect different organs throughout the body. Largely, people think of the lungs, the pulmonary mm-hmm. condition, but it can have um, impacts on your digestive systems and a few others. We have been... So fortunate in that my daughter has not had to date any significant healthcare issues. You know, CF is chronic, so it'll be with her for the rest of her life unless there's a cure. And genuinely, I do think that one day within her lifetime we might see that. But there's a lot of self management um, that goes into staying healthy day in day out. She works really hard. She takes a lot of medication. She does respiratory therapy every day. We've got to be really, really careful in cold and flu season. I mean, before COVID was a thing, right? And everybody was mm-hmm. washing hands obsessively and wiping down the airplane tables. We were doing that ourselves. because Germs yeah. would be a, a culprit um, for, for people who were living with CF. But in spite of all of that, she does everything. She plays soccer, She's in choir. She goes to school full-time. You know, she's in person right now. She's been in person for school for the entire time our school district has had it throughout COVID, which is terrific. She runs around with her neighbor friends. She torments her brother. She (laughs) talks back to me. I mean, she's just a kid, right? She's She's a kid. She's an eight-year-old girl, and she's smart and sassy and fun and big-hearted, but she... She also lives with this healthcare condition and a little bit more that we have to do to keep her healthy, but we, right. we really do our best to not, not define her by that. That's, that's been important to us. Absolutely.
3: When I think about the caregiving responsibilities of women in the workforce, I'm curious about how you believe caregiving impacts women differently than men in the workplace. It's a great question. I think, you know, it's so easy to,
2: to look at something as simple as a sick day, right? For a child, whether they're living with a complex medical condition like mine or uh, otherwise. And it, it seems to be more generally speaking, the, the female's responsibility. If you need to work from home that day, if you need to take a day off yourself, if you need to Doc, a vacation day if you're in the the type of workplace that will do that. So I think that there's definitely a disproportionate um, amount of responsibility and impact from the the male versus female perspective when it comes to that. And then even something as simple as, you know, gosh, I'm looking at our kids and I, I know that every school district is different, but I have one child who gets off the bus at 225. PM. I have another child who doesn't get off until 445 p.m. Different schools, different ages. And I know there's a lot of women who are dealing with that. So how do you do something as simple as get your kids to school every day? Um, take care of them in the afternoons. And in my experiences, there does tend to be more the the female in the relationship. If it's a male-female relationship, who is the one having to say, hey, hold that thought. I've got to leave this meeting just a smidge early so that I can get home and get to the bus. Don't worry, I'll be back online later tonight, right? Because that's all how we figure it out. You, You put in your time, you put in your hours, you get it all done, but you may not be able to be as physically present on a structured schedule in the office as a male counterpart may be able to be generally speaking, of course.
1: Do you think that's hampered your hampered your career when you were still a corporate? No,
2: I don't. They, you know, they were very much from the perspective from, from the beginning of if you get your work done, you get your work done. It doesn't matter where, it doesn't matter when, you know, you can't be sitting off in Hawaii and unable to take every conference call because you're in a different time zone every day. But to the extent that you can, it it doesn't matter whether an email is being sent at 4 p.m. or 10 p.m. as long as the work is getting done. But the downside of that, of course, is that you're working kind of around the clock, Right? There isn't necessarily that time of day for many women where they can just say, I'm done. I'm out. I'm, I'm officially unplugged. And I think we all strive for that. But that's just one of the byproducts of that type of organization where there's always in the back of your head, maybe I ought to log on. Maybe I ought to do this because I wasn't able to be as present at, at a different point in time. And that's just something that we need to recognize and get out of our heads and stop being our own worst critics about in my opinion and take that time we all need to take that time for ourselves
3: what impact do you think the new way of working the virtual the hybrid will be having on women in the workplace as they work to balance these typically female caregiving type roles i hope it will be positive I do. I look at so many
2: of my friends and former colleagues who have spent the past, gosh, 18, 20 months now either entirely at home um, or in some type of hybrid work where they've gone in for a couple of days a week um, or a few days a week and been able to be home for the others. So when I think about them and when I have those conversations with my peers, a lot of it is in in a positive light of... This will enable me to be, at least for those few days, home when my kids get off the bus. Now, I may be on a conference call. I may be knee-deep in a presentation. I might be unable to, you know, sit down and give them two hours of undivided attention at 2.30 p.m. on a Thursday. But the fact that I'm home um, is, is a good thing. I I do think, you know, a lot of families have had to be kind of creative when it comes to whether you're doing after school care for your kids, if that's something that's sponsored and offered by the school, if they're in camps, if you're trying to work with high school kids who get home from school maybe a little early and are able to come in and pinch it for a little bit, there's had to be some creativity there for sure. Um, But I am hopeful that overall, the impact of companies recognizing that by and large, we can be just as productive at home a couple days a week, if not every day of the week, um, that that can be a positive, positive net impact for women.
3: And I'm, it sounds like you had a very supportive leader, in the situation that you found yourself in. I'm thinking of women who might have to advocate a little bit more for themselves in those situations. Is there specific advice or specific ways that you would recommend that they approach these conversations with leadership in the workplace? um, If there's things that you might advise them to do in terms of advocating for themselves and their families?
2: That's a great question. I think a a couple of different things come to mind for me, Kristen. I think, um, and everyone is different, right? Everyone has a different comfort level um, and permissiveness within the workplace about how much information you're able to share. But I do think in general, um, when you as an employee are able to build a relationship with your leaders And conversely, when you are a leader and you're building relationships with your teams, to the extent that it's possible and it makes sense and it's within the guardrails of HR right and legal, I always think it's helpful to be open about things that are going on in your life. Um, and again, everybody's different. I could have, to use myself as an example, I could have never shared my daughter's diagnosis with my colleagues. And you know what? It never would have come up because at the time I was not writing about it. Um, I wasn't out there in the you know speaker sphere talking about it. Nobody would have known. Um, and I think there's a lot of things that we're struggling with. Whether you're caring for an older. Um, a parent perhaps, that you're having to care for, or if you're going through a rough path with a, a child or something that's happening, it always helps to have someone at work that you can share that with if you're comfortable. because then when you start to have that conversation about advocating for yourself, there's a little bit of a baseline that's there. It's not something that's completely coming out of left field because you've shared. That this is something that's important to you. Um, But then, alongside of that, I, I would also encourage women, and this is only if you feel comfortable about it, but if you want to have that conversation where you do need a little bit more leniency, I would suggest you come to the conversation with a plan. Have a proposal in mind, have done your homework in terms of this is what I foresee to be something that could be a potential obstacle. Here's how I'm planning on working through that. These are some of the challenges or inconveniences that I foresee that this could potentially pose. Here's how I would like to work through that. What do you think? Um, So to the extent that you can be prepared and that you can have shared that baseline foundational information with a leader, I think that can be helpful Um, But again, every person's situation is different and every person's workplace is different. You may work in in an environment where sharing things that are happening at home is just not something, unfortunately, that's acceptable. And that's that's a difficult situation to be in.
1: I always find, too... When you can be open as a leader to share some of those things that are going on in your own personal life, it makes you more human to the oh people that report to you. Absolutely, right? you know that piece. That vulnerability really opens up trust mm-hmm. in a relationship in a way that I can't think of anything else mm-hmm. <laughs> does it as as well. But you're right. You know, not all environments are. Welcoming to that mm-hmm. sort of thing. I would like to think that with COVID, you know, so many things have changed that organizations would be looking more to create that environment where yes. it's okay to talk about the trials and tribulations. I can tell you when I started coaching back in the mid 2000s, you know, something that you didn't talk about with corporate clients was life coaching. You didn't talk Mm -hmm. about life coaching. Oh my goodness, we don't talk about life at work. It was the big secret. Well, let me tell you, coaches from the very beginning have been life coaching, even if you're coaching in the corporate world, because guess what? Employees come to work as human beings Mm -hmm. (laughs) with lives. Shocker, we have lives, every
2: one
1: of us. Absolutely. right. And you can't tell me that somebody who's got some major disruption going on at home doesn't bring the remnants of that to work. And they need to have a place to talk about those things and figure out strategies to make life work, right? Mm. There's not one of us that lives at home, and then we send a different version of us to the office. <laughs> but it was a big
2: no-no to talk about that. Yeah. And Holly, you know, you you laugh about, you don't send a different person to work, but I think sometimes we try to, don't we? I I think, gosh, it took me so long to learn. And I remember listening to one of your guests. I can't recall her name off the top of my head, but one of your podcasts that I listened to a few weeks ago, she said the same thing. She said, why are we struggling to bring this image of perfection? into the workplace, because that's not who any of us are. And I know I, for one, it took me over 10 years in the workplace to realize that this polished, cool, nothing ruffles you, nothing gets in the way. You'll never say like, you'll never say, um, right. That's just, it's such hard work trying to bring that demeanor. And when you stop doing that and you recognize that no one is judging you, no one's looking down on you. was a matter of fact, as you mentioned before, you're being more vulnerable. You're being more real. And now people are relating to you more. So you're a more effective leader. You have a better team dynamic. It all comes together. But gosh, it can be, I think, especially for young women who are working in difficult careers and you feel this tremendous pressure to prove yourself and to be taken seriously, Um there's that, that risk of who you try to bring just is, is this perfect version of yourself and of an employee that just doesn't, doesn't frankly exist.
1: You know, the other thing I, I see in especially young women leaders that are trying so hard to show up so perfectly, this vision of whatever that perfect thing is, Think about the energy that's wasted in trying to make that happen and how that energy, if you could be your authentic self and just mm-hmm. show up the way you are, that energy could be redirected right, for
2: good, right? Right. Absolutely. All those big, big problems that are presenting themselves in the workplace. Yeah. What if you could be all in without having to think about, oh, should I say this? Am I... Raising the question right, what does that dude in the back of the room think about <laughs> the outfit that I've chosen today and the words that I'm using? It's just, I mean, I don't know about you, but it's like this inner talk track, right? That's just constantly beating us down. And, you know, it takes a recognition that I, I think comes for many of us the day that you realize no one's no one's judging you in that way because they're all inside their own heads thinking the same things about themselves. <laughs> I know it's do not the energy to look at you in that way, they're more inwardly focused as well. So it's yeah,
1: the talk track goes, it's yeah, the talk, track, goes, yeah, the talk yeah. track is crazy, it's absolutely crazy. Yeah, talk a little bit about how did all these changes when it was happening. Okay, you've made the decision, I'm going to leave corporate life, I'm going to take a little bit of a break, do some volunteer work, kind of mm-hmm. find my people. Because that's really what you were doing is finding your new tribe after you left the corporate world. How did this or not affect your mental health and your own, you know, we get really wrapped up in our identities, our part Mm -hmm. of our careers, right? And all of a sudden, you're not Laura working at the big biotech company Um, you're Laura, the homemaker and the caregiver and looking for your next thing, you know, how did you support yourself through that journey? Because it is a tough one.
2: It is so tough. And you're right. That's something that all of us struggle with at different points in our lives is how we, how do we define ourselves as women? And what does that look like? And for the longest time, I defined myself if it was as a child, as a teenager in college, it was grades, it was awards, it was accolades. And then you're at work and it's the role, it's the whatever award you're getting, the promotion, the bonus. It was so easy to define myself in that way. And then you snap your fingers and that's not the role that you're in anymore. And I actually remember sitting at a dinner um, next to a, a, a new acquaintance. I think he was an attorney. Um, if I remember correctly, and him asking me what I did for a living, and this was a couple of weeks maybe since I had left, and I just kind of <laughs> sputtered, and I, I didn't know what to say. It was the first time somebody had asked me, well, what do you do? And I remember going into this long litany of, well, I used to do this, and <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, I used to be this a very fair. big deal and I could just see his eyes kind of glazing over. I mean, he didn't care. He was just making polite, small talk. But for me, it was this big aha, as you mentioned, of well, who am I if I'm not this career person and how I've defined myself by this tangible output of my work for so many years? Who am I? But I think how I started to work through that, and it took time, it didn't come um, the next day by any means, but you mentioned finding your tribe. And that's exactly how I started to work through that. I started by um, volunteering at our local children's hospital in an advisory capacity that got me very close to other parents of children, adolescents, even adults who were living with cystic fibrosis. And so being around them, Seeing how they found a way to balance this and make it work, especially those who had older kids or kids who were even out of the house, looking at how they defined themselves, how they sought balance in their lives, what their relationships ultimately looked like and how they managed it all was helpful for me. What was also interesting, if I may, is the more people that I had those types of conversations with, and eventually for me... It, it began to span far more than other parents of kids living with CF. It was kids living with all sorts of different healthcare conditions, you know, pediatric cancer survivors living with blindness, congenital health, heart defects, muscular dystrophy, uh, different very rare genetic conditions like a phelan syndrome. I met all these different parents through these advisory roles. And that's where i started to piece together that it really doesn't matter what diagnosis our kiddos have been given, and it doesn't matter how our day-to-day lives may different be different from one another, and our routines may be different from one another. We all are experiencing a lot of those same emotions on a day-to-day basis that you mentioned. There's that stress, there's that anxiety, there's worry, there's fear, um, there's a grief in some ways, for the life that you thought that your child might live. And now you're needing to rewrite that story and rewrite that narrative. But there's also many positive emotions. There's devotion. There's perspective. There's gratitude. And I say all of that because at the end of the day, that was a huge turning point for me was this recognition of, we all may look different and have different day-to-day routines, but gosh, we are experiencing these same emotions, and it's really hard to find resources that will help support this emotional journey. And that was my tipping point toward developing Painter in Color.
1: Yeah, I, I remember reading uh, some of your early work on this, and um, very reflective you certainly had some very serious aha moments and you're right. You just, ha- you redefined who you were and it's just, if not even more valid and important than the work that you did previously. Oh gosh. Yes. 100%. Yeah. It's interesting how, um, what we think we're going to do when we're 21 years old and where we actually end up, you know, we don't write a lot of that story. But, um, you know, I think it's kind of what you do with, with what you're dealt with, having the right support to get through these, these challenges.
2: Definitely. And being okay, making a change, right? Because change is so scary. It is. It's so easy to stay in our comfort zone. Gosh, that's just my my MO, you know, don't rock the boat. Don't, don't, don't call her outside the lines, right? Just keep your chin down and, and keep on going.
1: Yeah. We were all kind of socialized to be that way, especially mm-hmm. girls, you know, um, don't mess up your dress, sit nice on the chair in the corner.
2: Don't say anything to make anybody feel bad about himself. Exactly.
1: <laughs> About advice that you would give our listeners, especially people that are struggling to try to balance heavy duty caregiving for a child with health needs or a parent or even a spouse, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. another big thing. A spouse who's having problems. What advice would you have for them, whether they want to stay in their corporate
2: job and continue to balance this, or if they want to make a big change? Mm-hmm. I think one of the first points of guidance that I would offer, and it took me a while to recognize this myself, was to, I almost hate the phrase lean in because we use it so often anymore these days, but lean into those emotions that you're feeling. If you're in a situation where there has been a disruption in your life, whatever that may be, something big that is going on, you're likely feeling just this barrage of emotions and it's okay, they're valid. Some of them will stay with you for a long period of time. Others will kind of come and go and you'll move through them. But recognizing that those emotions are valid and that there's no one right way of thinking about your situation or moving through your situation, I think is is one point. The other thing I would say is find your people, find your tribe, um, for so many of us, it can feel so isolating. Like I, I am literally the only person who has experienced this, who has felt this emotion, who was struggling with this particular issue, but 99.999% of the time we're not. There's others out there. And I don't think for me, what I've learned is it doesn't have to be someone who's experiencing the exact same thing as you. They don't need to be your mirror image, but someone who has experienced some major life change, disruption, unexpected barrier, they can offer perspective and they can share. Here's what they were feeling at the time. Here's some of the steps, small, maybe bigger, that they move to to be able to, to move through that. So recognize that emotion reach out to others, find those people. Don't be afraid to ask for help. There there was a quote actually that I posted to our Painter in Color Facebook site just this morning from a a good friend and fellow CF mother and, and writer. Her name is Lisa C. Green. And she said something along the lines of, you know, asking for help and support, we tend to see as a weakness. We tend to see it as validation that we can't cope, but it's not, it's a strength. It's difficult to do. And for so many of us asking for that help and that support is one of the only ways that we're going to be able to move from point A to point B. So don't be afraid to ask for that.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. What an amazing conversation, Laura.
2: Oh, this has been so much fun. Thank you.
1: I want you to give a plug for your site and um, I want people to help support your causes and know Absolutely. where to meet you and know, know how to get in touch with you and follow you.
2: Sure. Absolutely. So my, my email, if folks are interested in reaching out, is laura at paintherincolor.com. Paint Her in Color is also on Facebook as well as on Twitter. So you can find me there. And if you go to paintherincolor.com, if you're listening and if you are, a caregiver who's potentially been struggling with some of these different emotions that we've talked about. And if you're looking for some resources to be able able to support you on that journey, check it out. It's paintherincolor.com. We support all types of parents. It doesn't have to be a complex medical need like my daughter. It can be a developmental or intellectual disorder, behavioral healthcare needs, as I've mentioned before, we we tend to experience some of the same emotions at different parts in our journey. So there are resources there for everyone. There is a blog. We have over a hundred different personal stories. Um, Don't worry, they're not all from me. (laughs) I started off writing most of them, but I think there's 17 or 18 guest bloggers from all over the world. There's a a number of different emotional support resources. These are fantastic, trusted nonprofit organizations that I've partnered with who have allowed me to be able to really share all of their resources, which is everything from how do you help brothers and sisters feel seen, heard, and loved? Because that's a whole separate conversation when you feel like you don't have enough time for siblings Mm -hmm. to how do you prepare for appointments with physicians and therapists thank you for
1: sharing today with our listeners laura your story and uh,
2: keep doing the good work you're doing thank you both for having me this has been a really great conversation
0: thank you so much for listening in on this latest episode of uplifting women podcast holly and kristen appreciate your dedication to uplifting women and look forward to you joining them again soon this podcast is sponsored by UpliftingWomen.net, as well as Holly Tesca Coaching and Consulting and Regent Leadership Group. Please visit your favorite platform where you found this podcast to leave a review. If you are an uplifting woman or a man who champions women's success with a story to share, Kristen and Holly would love to talk to you. Please visit UpliftingWomen.net and leave us a message.